have only pushed me harder. Face it, you were a pawn, a placeholder, while I took care of some unfinished business. You tapped out. It's mine. Your lies, your tricks, your games, they all turn out the same way. Proof to the world that I am for real. It was only a matter of time, Chris. You had to know. And unfortunately for you, time is running out. For once, leave your games behind and step into the ring. No more distractions. Just you, me, and the World Heavyweight Championship. What are you waiting for, Hunter? You're finished. It's time. It's all over. Prove me wrong. And now, War presents WWE Vengeance. And Orton is hot as fuck at this point as well. He's coming off of the match with Foley, which kind of like took him to another level. Not the band, unfortunately. <laughs> that would have been good. Um, you know, that day he just joins up <laughs> with another level. That'd be amazing. Because tonight, baby, I want to freaky with you. Okay, I know where. Yeah. And he comes to the ring to bomb Diggy, be my oh, preference. Uh, what a tune that is. He joined them because he didn't want to be alone. No more. Is that song by them? <laughs> and I don't want to be alone. No more. Thanks for that context. I wouldn't have got that. I've got to be honest. Yeah. To be fair, another level. I had some absolute records. Yeah, and obviously Dane Barris has got a cheesy knob. So, <laughs> yeah. according to a according to an interview I read uh, with Katie Price, aka Jordan in FHM, a long time ago, that was the one criticism of him. Yeah, <laughs> cheesy knob. Yes, indeed, this is the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler, and today we take a look back at WWE Vengeance 2004 as our odyssey through the Pro Wrestling Archive continues. Joining me today is a man still waiting for that first whiff of a Val Venus match for us to cover and growing more and more frustrated by the weeks as they pass. It's old man Sam Carey. Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. We were a pre-show away from a Val Venus match this week. <laughs> Yes, we were. Yeah, because he, well, he, he was on Sunday Night Heat. Now, I'll be honest, when I saw that, I thought, oh, that's disappointing. And then I thought, 2004 Val Venus? That's not what I want. So I'm glad we missed it. And he was fighting, I can't remember who he was fighting. Oh, uh, it was that dude. Um, Tyson Tomko. Yeah, the, the dude who Tinky pointed out at uh, ECW One Night Stand 2005 from a couple of weeks ago. I had no idea who he was. He's beaten Val Venus. Yeah. I didn't realise he was such a good worker. I think rather than having missed out by a Nats wing, you've actually had a narrow escape there from a 2004 two-minute Val Venus loss to Tyson Tomko. I think you've got to be happy that you've missed it, to be honest. Yeah, well, to be fair, two minutes is enough time for me to get a couple out, so <laughs> it would have been all right. 
is, uh, as made me think, I know you're going to introduce me in a second, Tinky, but how have we not done a pay-per-view from 1998 yet? <laughs> has that not happened? Well, I don't need to introduce you now, but I will. Hey. I'll still give you uh, an introduction. Because also we have the Hammersmith hard man, Tom Smith, which yeah. is an appropriate name for him as he is neither hard nor from Hammersmith. And so we may as well have called him Cannonball Taffio Jones. Tom, how are you? You ignorant English wanker! <laughs> So good. I myself have been very busy rubbing a cricket ball on my crotch all morning. <laughs> so uh, I'm ready for this. It is a spoiler, lads. I uh, I didn't get a chance to watch this pay per view this week, so I got up this morning at half five to start oh, watching it. it and I I have done it in a in one sitting as well. Well, we will get into the show in just a minute, but before we get into the particulars of Vengeance 2004, just a little nudge in the direction of our social media channels. We can be found at RWR Pod UK pretty much everywhere. Strap your fucking bollocks to the table, get the gaffer tape out, and give us a fucking follow on social media, you miserable cunts. How about that? You said that so fast that when you said, give us a follow, I thought you were going to say, give us a volivant. Oh, I'll have one of them as well. Lovely. Yeah. About bloody time they started feeding us. Or feeding your ears, feed our guts. (laughs) Or feed us more. Feed us more. So let's talk about our expectations for Vengeance 2004 going in. Tom, let's start with you. Uh, what were your expectations of five o'clock this morning when you turned it all on? <laughs> Pretty low. I'm not going to lie. This is my longest. I think it's probably my longest dip out of not watching anything. So I think basically from I think I've said this before, from about WrestleMania 18 through to probably WrestleMania 24, I didn't watch anything. Quite a, quite a big old sit. And that's not that's not even now. When I don't follow the products, I'll still watch the Rumble and maybe race WrestleMania if it, if it occurs to me. I literally watch nothing. And there was a reason, I think, why I stopped watching. Now, admittedly, there was there was probably some good stuff at the beginning of that. But I think, yeah, was, well, WrestleMania 18, I just turned 18. I was out. I'm pissed. Yeah. I didn't have time for wrestling at that time. So I think there's there's a reason why I initially fell off. And there was nothing that really drew me back in and for quite a while. And I've got this in my mind of anything that I've watched from this era it's very long, very boring Triple H matches. And I, do you know what? I don't think that's going to happen this week. So here we go. <laughs> so I had this on DVD. Mm. I never watched it because much like Tommy, <laughs> I was kind of in and out of the product. And uh, Silver Vision, a few years after this, had a sell. And they were selling off these 2004 DVDs for very cheap. And I was like, well, there can be a reason for this. So I bought them. I watched a couple of them and I was like, oh, I think I know why they were cheap. So I didn't watch any of the others. I bought about six of the pay-per-views. And uh, to be honest, that kind of made me not really look forward to this. Now, in the initial bit, it's noted that it's a raw branded show. And that did kind of change my view a little because I knew there'd be no JBL. But apart from that, I was still a little bit like, do we have to? (laughs) <laughs> well we, ne- we never have to old man we are well, that's true we are here by choice but um yeah i uh, i should say actually on the dvd thing i have realized that there have been probably that every wwe show we've done so far other than the ones in the last six seven years i have on dvd i have practically every wwe pay-per-view on dvd prior to the year 2013 i think because when silver vision were kind of going out of business i just bought up a ton of them i bought i bought yeah. loads of them and before that to be honest i bought loads that whenever they came on offer i just bought one just to kind of collect them and never watched any of them i have never watched any of the dvds i bought i've got about 100 dvds of wrestling shows upstairs that i've never watched and i'll have this one i'm absolutely certain i've got this one um never watched it never watched it before but i am completely with you in terms of i have no idea why and i have no idea why i've got this particular prejudice if that's the right word but 2004 
every time anyone says anything that's got the, the number 2004 in it when it comes to wrestling i'm like it's gonna be shit it's gonna be rubbish yeah. i have no idea why because like you guys i wasn't watching i think i saw wrestlemania of the year because that would be wrestlemania 20 so i've definitely seen that uh at the time and i think i have since watched survivor series 2004 but other than that not watched a thing from 2004 but i went in thinking it's gonna be rubbish 2004 is, it's got to be rubbish so i wasn't particularly looking forward to it uh survivor series 2004 has the awful cover doesn't it the comic they... book like a comic yeah book. and it's right like they obviously use comic book for 2021 royal rumble works beautifully because there's Bright colours is quite garish. Obviously, Tommy's got a lovely bloody T-shirt with it on. And the 2004 Survivor Series is just, well, I think representative of how me and Tinky in particular feel about the year. Just a bit mm. dour, a bit ugly. So let's not um, go too into the negatives before we've actually watched the show, shall we? Because no, no, for, no, that's it. For all we know, this is going to change your perception, the show. Um, so let's get into it. We're an open-minded bunch aren't we? <laughs> when it comes to watching pay-per-views we're expecting to not be very good so let's get in there <laughs> I'm excited boys what's going to happen so, so the show starts with an opening video package charting Chris Benoit's Rumble win and Wrestlemania title victory and building to his defence against Triple H uh, the show then begins a bit earlier than usual usually have a bit of a longer video but I found this to be quite a, a short one I wonder whether or not there's been some stuff cut I don't know that was just my thought maybe there was a little bit of cut because it's Benoit maybe the commentary team for the show is Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler uh, JR says that it's the first time ever for Benoit and Triple H in a one-on-one encounter in the main event tonight which I didn't realise I haven't gone back to check to fact check him but I'm assuming he was right and then they show some footage of the musical chairs segment on Raw <laughs> where <laughs> Tajiri is the first person eliminated and then blows mist into the coach's face after the coach laughs at him two things on what you've just said then Tiki first of all the video with uh, trip about Triple H and Benoit's feud to open up the show. There's a bit. I, I had this weird thing where like, like there's a bit where Benoit calls Triple H Hunter, and I was like, oh, he's used his real name. <laughs> <laughs> and then and I was like, I go, no, it's not. His name's Paul. But do you know what I mean? It's one of these weird things. We've been so conditioned to hearing people call him Triple H that when it, but the way they use the phrase Hunter is like, oh, when you're being really in really serious in a feud with Triple H, you call him Hunter. Because that's his real name. When you're being insider, that's what that's yeah. what yeah. him Hunter. The other thing is, is have you ever considered how stupid the name Triple H is? Like, yes. Especially yeah. if you haven't watched, like, if you start watching wrestling, say, in 2004, for example, and so he's never been called Hunter Hearst Helmsley in your mind, and you're like, this guy's called Triple H. Yeah, like, did I hear that correctly? Triple H. What fucking shit is that about? <laughs> Well, and there's also this 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 whole idea of that being like, oh, maybe it's like, I don't know, something like homicide, hate, and some the hunter. Do you know what I mean? Something, but like like CM CM Punk for example. You know, there's there's a lot of like things. Allegedly, it's chick magnet. There could be Chicago made. There could be other things that that have significance yeah. around it. But then they you get into it in like 2004, as you said. You know, Triple H. That's a weird name. What does it stand for? Oh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Yeah. The other thing is, the musical chair segment went on Raw. It's the greatest thing that's ever happened on the history of Monday Night Raw. It's <laughs> so good. I love it. It's so fucking stupid. That might have been slightly hyperbolic then. Um, <laughs> but it is... I remember watching it. In fact, I didn't watch it at the time. I watched it when they did, like, a Best of Raw box set or whatever. And I can remember watching it on there and, oh, I laughed like a dream. It's just tremendous stuff. 
So the reason uh, we are shown that little clip of the musical chairs is to set the scene for the opening encounter, which features Jonathan Coachman and Garrison Cade against Tajiri and a mystery partner. So Coachman has challenged Tajiri on the pre on the Sunday night heat that has preceded this show <laughs> to a match and found to find himself a partner. And he has found himself a partner in Rhino. The match goes for seven and a half minutes. It ends when Tajiri hits Coach with a high kick for the pin. Uh, old man, let's begin with you. What were your thoughts here? Well, I mean, the crowd, I think, underwhelmed would be like how they reacted to pretty much everyone coming to the ring, but in particular Rhino. The crowd will kind of be a bit of a theme, I think, through this, but they do not care about this. Other than a very half-hearted ECW chant when Rhino is doing a very ECW thing and throwing some punches. The whole thing with this match is obviously it's framed around Tajiri and Coach. Basically, Tajiri getting his hands on the coach. But they completely bypass all that by Tajiri taking a beatdown from Garrison Cade and then the coach coming in and beating him up. But he doesn't, like, he doesn't come in arrogantly. He doesn't, like, milk it. He doesn't play to the crowd. It's not very good. It's not going to be very good because the coach is not a wrestler. The one thing that they had to do, they just get it completely wrong, I think. And it just was literally just, I mean, you said it's seven and a half minutes. Wouldn't have been surprised if you'd said this was 10 or 12 minutes because it it was boring. It was boring as hell. Like you've got Cade and the coach. So they're talking about odd couple tag teams, not necessarily using that phrase. And you've got another one later coming up, which I won't spoil for the listeners. So you've got two similar type things. And as you said, it's made on heat and it shows it's made on heat because it's so poorly put together and poorly accepted by the crowd that they don't care and also the commentators don't care because at one point Jerry the King Lawler is trying to guess all of the countries in the world <laughs> and and he does say Oklahoma which did make me laugh <laughs> but yeah it's just just really poorly done like I said the whole thing they had to do was get Coach and Tajiri to face off and they don't get that right they rushed that and that was what I was waiting for. They obviously, you you, you get the mist, which is fine. But it's just, we're not off to a good start, lads. I don't think it's a bad match. I just think it's a really stupid opener. I don't understand why mm-hmm. this is the opener. I think it's just, it puts you on the back foot instantly because it's obviously thrown it together on Sunday Night Heat. Yeah. They've, they've obviously not kind of thought about this in any way. They've just gone, right, we need another match. Fuck it. Let's just put Rhino and... John, uh, sorry, Tajiri and Jonathan Coachman against each other and we'll have, we'll have them with tag team partners. So there's no real thought gone into it. There's no build up to it and, until the, that, that evening. Um, and then it's just a short, perfunctory match that doesn't do anything in particularly interesting. It's, it's OK, but it's just such a weird choice for the opener. Didn't get that at all. Mm. Tom. Yeah, similar and like uh, sentiments to old man. My one of my notes is the comms are clearly taking this seriously as they spend a good minute trying to figure out how many countries there are, as old man already previously said. One thing I will say was I was reasonably impressed by the coaches bumping more so than I was expecting. Yeah. But that again is a reasonably low bar. Um the who the fuck is Garrison Cade? That's Lance Cade. Well, no, it's Garrison Cade. <laughs> <laughs> different name boys i don't know but i, just, I didn't i didn't re- i didn't put two and two together at all that was how much of an impact he left on me just i was like this is a bit of shit isn't it? i'll be honest not my cup of tea I mean, we're going to have to be careful about as well about the number of times you say the word boring. But I didn't think it was boring. I just thought it was a very, very flimsy start to the show. A very, like, usually you'd want something that gets people going. And this just instantly, I would imagine if I was in the crowd, I'd be like, oh, this is the start, is it? Yes. And, 
it, do you know what what you said about it feeling like it's been thrown into the card as well makes me believe that they had like mistimed the card or something so the entire pay-per-view is about this two hours 37 which is shorter than most pay-per-views are two of the matches which we will go into later go on overly long i feel and i wonder if they had lots of injuries at the time or if they just didn't really think about it or just like threw it together last minute and weren't really paying attention but it just seems a bit a bit odd to me they, they throw this match on and there's still probably enough time to chuck another match in there if they if, if they needed to or if they felt the need to rather than achieve a couple of minutes off of the overly long matches well one thing about the uh the length i also wonder if there's a couple of mo- moments that have been cut out here because it did feel like one or two times there was a one or two yeah. bits where those yeah. things cut out so it might not have actually been shorter than usual but i do agree it does feel like they're kind of scrambling for things to put on this show because as you say the length of some of the matches is really quite stark uh, as we go into <laughs> later on in the show so then uh, we go backstage rick flair uh, complains to Randy Orton and Batista about having to team with Eugene later on in the show. The rest of Evolution then question Triple H about what's going on with Eugene. Triple H asks where Eugene is, and Orton and Batista then argue about whose turn it was to watch him. Triple H then catches Benoit telling Eugene that Evolution are using him and telling him to be careful. Any thoughts on this bit, Tom? First up, they're all doing their Jerry Lawler voices. They're all like, where, where's Eugene? That's you, you looking after Eugene? Where, where's Eugene? Where, where is he? Eugene. Where, where's Eugene? Tom never misses a chance to get the Jerry Lawler voice in. <laughs> the way that uh, Triple H is lurking behind the door, eyeing up Benoit and and uh, and Eugene, looks so shit. It's like such yeah. so, so like bad. Like it looks like an absolute pervert. Is what I'm saying. He's like, what's going on over here? <laughs> it's just really crap overproduced rubbish segment I oh, find. this is a 40 second segment dragged out for i don't know how long it goes it's got to be a couple of minutes like it's literally triple h walks in the room he goes oh where's eugene and they go oh, oh i don't know and then batista and orton go i thought you were looking at it i thought oh no and they all go off and look and then triple h looks behind the door and then he has the conversation they say eugene so many times during this segment that I thought everyone was called Eugene for about half an hour after this. It's insane how many times they say his name. Well, thank, thanks for that, Eugene. You obviously didn't enjoy that very much. Um, <laughs> the No, I, the thing I hate about most, though, if I'm honest, and this is going to be maybe maybe some people think this is trivial. They're all pretending that the camera's not there. I fucking yeah, hate yeah. this. I hate this shit. Like, no, the camera's fucking. You could. You're obviously the camera's there. They're all pretending it's not there. And then you. Oh, I just hate it. I really hate that. I. I don't. I can't tell you how much I hate it. I just hate it. And they. They don't do it as much anymore, do they? But there was a phase where they did that a lot, like it was an act, like an acting scene in an actual TV show. Yeah. So they used to do this a lot on uh, Lucha Underground as well. But what they did is they made it feel different. So those scenes when so when there are storylines when they're acting in the scenes between people, they put like a different filter or something like that over the over the camera. So it felt different. So it felt like, oh, this could have actually happened. It's not happening right now in the you know, in the fucking arena like everything else. They at least they take it they take you out of the arena and into this bit and then they go in to do the actual match. Yeah, it's just it's it's a, like a really bad interview segment, but without the really yeah. bad interviewer. Fortunately, everyone in this segment is really good at acting <laughs> so it, so it, it all comes across very natural i mean fair play to batista because i've seen him in doing various roles he's a very good actor he's come a long way 
So that we see footage three weeks ago on Raw where Chris Jericho was knocked out by a clothesline by Batista. And then we see Batista costing Jericho a match against Randy Orton on Raw the week before the show, which leads us to match number two. Chris Jericho versus Batista, a match that goes just over 12 minutes. This one ends when Batista hits a spine buster, then hits a Batista bomb, and he gets the pin despite Jericho's foot being on the rope. The referee did not see it, and then Batista uh, pulls the, the leg off of the rope. Uh, Tom, your thoughts on this one? First note, God, Batista looks like such a cunt. <laughs> he kind of hits the ring, doesn't he? He proper does. I, mean, I know he's a heel and stuff, but he didn't look like that regardless as to whether or not he was wrestling. And a heel at the same time. The little soul patch that he's rocking is tremendous. <laughs> oh, so awful. <laughs> this match is very, very clunky. I find it to be very clunky. Mm-hmm. And it's Batista who does get better, but not by much. I think his in-ring conditioning must get better because he blows up within like a minute and looks mm-hmm. absolutely fucked straight away. And there's lots of like Batista not really looking like he knows what to do. And I was watching this thinking, if Chris Jericho was as good as he thinks he is, then this match would be a lot smoother and a lot mm. and a lot more crisp and a lot more coherent. Even Earl Hebner looks bored in the room. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't look like he cares about what's going on. There's a great bit of commentary. This, and I, we, I am the first person to slag off Jerry Lawler, but there's a great crap joke in here at the beginning which says, Chris Jericho has been biting his nails but so much before this match that his stomach needs a manicure. <laughs> Classic. Great Lawler. And there's there's a really crap Triple H sign in the crowd. I don't know if any if you boys notice this. This is really crap. There's a white sign with HHH written on it. The middle one is capitalised and the other two aren't. It's awful. It's, I thought for a minute we were going to find out what the hidden meaning behind Triple H's three initials yeah. were. <laughs> no, sadly not. But I just didn't think it was very good. And, and the, like you said, with the with the win it's yeah so he hits the power bomb Jericho rolls over puts his foot on the rope the referee doesn't see it because presumably he don't care but like nothing happens uh, and the only thing I can assume is that this dynamite feud is going to continue the next night on Raw but even then there's still no Jericho saying to the referee my foot was on the rope or anything it all just kind of ends with the route like a wet fire it's but without the peril. Um, <laughs> without the peril of a wet fire. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just not good. It's, it's really not good. I'm, I'm looking for the gaffer tape and I can't find it. <laughs> so we've just seen Batista in a chat about where Eugene is. And then he is immediately into this match. So as a viewer at home, like we're assuming that the audience in the crowd may not have seen the backstage segment. Immediately, I'm thinking, well, he don't care, does he? He don't care about this match. He's just been trying to find Eugene and arguing with Orton about who was looking after him. So he's obviously not very concerned about this match. Um, Batista is also, to be fair, he probably doesn't care about this match because he's so green. Like Tom said, it is clunky as fuck, this match. (laughs) And Jericho is, I'll get on to Jericho, actually, because he's not very good in this match. It kind of feeds into the end. Uh, I did want to point out before I get to the end, Batista's little dance that he does at the start <laughs> on the stage because he's not doing his little like I'm firing some guns thing that he would do with the pyro he just does a little dance and it was very weird it was reminiscent of when the Uzos used to dance when they came out with the little um, Samoan drums going off in the background now on to more important things in Jericho and his general health because obviously the thing is is three weeks before he's apparently got knocked out and they've had to stop a match now I think that the end is so 
flat because Jericho looks fucked. When he takes the um, Batista bomb, it's when Hebner's talking to him. His eyes are all over the fucking place. And this is 17 years ago, so we are at a very different time. We've said this before. Like, this doesn't happen, I don't think, now, because I don't think he's in a good way. And when Jericho does his walk down to the ring, it's so half-assed that I just wonder if he wasn't actually mentally capable of actually being in a wrestling ring and probably wasn't comfortable being there because he'd obviously got a concussion a few weeks ago. And I don't know whether that's breeding too much into it, but at the end, I think I'm definitely correct because he looks terrible. And like Tom said, he doesn't get annoyed about the finish. Surely the point of that finish is that he gets annoyed and then the feud continues. Match-wise, clunky and not very good. But about what I was expecting, even without the what I suspect is a Jericho concussion between Jericho and Batista, to be honest. So with this match, Chris Jericho becomes the top of our list of numbers of matches we've covered. Yes! In 28 shows, we've covered nine Chris Jericho matches. uh, And this one might be the worst. It's just really not good. It's really, really not good. Like you said, Batista gets blown up so early on. Lawler and JR talking about them not being interested in the opening match. In this one, they talk about babysitting a lot at the start of the contest. (laughs) It's just not good. Batista's blown up really quickly. Chris Jericho is not, as you... Tom, you're absolutely right. If Jericho was even half as good as he thinks he is, he'd be able to navigate this match into something worthwhile. It's not worthwhile. It's rubbish. Um, Batista's rubbish. Like, I know this is very early in his career, and I know that we, as a group, kind of came round to Batista a bit more after our WrestleMania kind of travels back in 25 and 26, and now have some respect for his acting ability following his uh, successful film career. But on this evidence... He's rubbish. He's really rubbish. Um, it's just not a good match. It's just not a good match. And to me, it probably is again, as you said, old man, not really surprised. I wasn't really nah. thinking it was going to be that good. And it it hit the expectations I had for it. So we have spoke oft spoken in the past about uh, how Wikipedia, wrestling Wikipedia is tremendous and it is the it is the you know holds everything. It's the holy grail of wrestling research. On Chris Jericho's Wikipedia page, this match isn't even mentioned. <laughs> so it gives you how much of an impact it had. The other thing I meant to say as well, which I kind of missed out, is that I it was in this match. I didn't notice it so much in the first match. Maybe I just didn't didn't really tune into it. But the crowd are so quiet in yes. massive large swathe of mm-hmm. of this match. It's only ever when the action picks up a little bit or there's a bit of a high spot that the crowd show any involvement. And I seem to remember being us being quite critical of a crowd at another show in Hartford, Connecticut as well. So I remember cutting a bit of a promo on them. So wow. I wonder if it's it's a Hartford crowd. Also, it's, like, it's only 7,000 people there. Yeah. It's not, not a very big crowd. And so I wonder how much of it how much of the other side of the hard camera was like maybe roped mm. off or blocked out? Because it looked pretty full from what from what we could see. But I wonder how much there was on the other side of the uh, of the camera. Yeah, well they're pretty expert at hiding it when there aren't huge amounts yeah. of ticket sales. So I'm wouldn't be surprised. The crowd's a good point. I'm glad you made it, Tommy, because Evolution are meant to be like the hottest heels in fucking wrestling. And when Jarek, um, when uh, Batista comes down, he, to be brutally honest, it's about the same reaction Rhino gets when he's announced as being the partner for Tajiri. It's just like, no one cares. As a 
viewer watching this now. This feeds in from the video package because the only thing we should care about in the video package is the title match. It's the mm. only thing they talk about. And you made the point, I think it was last week or a couple of weeks ago, Tinky, that if you make something important, you portray it as important, you engage in it in a different way because you're like, oh yeah, they're building this as important. This is good. We've had two matches that are throwaway. One made the night before. This one seems to... Now, obviously, Jericho obviously missed some action because he was knocked out by a clothesline, so it might have been a longer feud, but this seems to have been made six days before. We're not rocking and rolling, lads, I've got to be honest. To put it into context about the, the, the arena, um, it holds... So for concerts, it's 16,500. For basketball, it's 15,600. So you'd imagine it'd be somewhere between those two. So they didn't even sell half the tickets. Bloody heck. That's pretty shit out, isn't it? Well, as you say, Evolution are the hottest heels in you know in all of wrestling at this point. So it's good that we've got some more stuff backstage in their dressing room. Mm-hmm. This time in the uh, in Evolution's dressing room, Eugene walks in upset. Um, Triple H talks to Eugene and says that Benoit is a liar. He says that they were going to take out Benoit tonight. Triple H says he has a huge surprise for Eugene, and when that surprise comes out, it's one of Flair's robes. Flair looks very annoyed as Eugene does the Flair strut. The Eugene stuff has not aged well, but Nick Dinsmore, is that his mm. name? Yeah. It's so good. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's all in on the character. So it's one of those things where I'm watching the Eugene stuff, and it's very tasteless, and I don't really like it. But I'm also quite admire the guy for being able to put it off so well. I don't know how I feel about the Eugene character because actually I get, I get what you're saying. I do think he's a little bit tasteless, but weirdly for WWE, it's one of the things they handle as well as they've handled anything. Like mm-hmm. Eugene, yes, he's portrayed as being naive and he's portrayed as being simple, but at the same time, they do give him quite a lot. Like he gets quite far. He does have big matches. Mm-hmm. The fans, apart from a few dickheads who are, are saying he sucks, actually get on board with Eugene, are behind him, want him yeah. to do well, Over. they support him. So even though it's maybe a little bit... Tactless. Maybe, yeah. Uh, I, I think more clumsy is what I was going for. It's a little bit yeah. clumsy, but I think they just about get a pass on it because, as you say, Nick Dinsmore plays the character so well and he is over and he is popular and they do book him as a babyface. They do book him sensitively or since it's not the word sympathetically they book him sympathetically yeah. it's not like he's constantly the butt of the joke like he is like in this you know in this show that he actually comes out in a in a relatively interesting way they don't just betray him as being the loser if you like so i quite I, I don't know how to feel about it also i i interviewed nick dinsmore and he apparently received a lot of communication from people who were really proud of his portrayal because obviously there's lots of children with learning difficulties and it was felt like this kind of gave them someone to look up to a little bit so yeah i i don't know how to feel about it it's it's not the best but I don't think it's terribly insensitive in, in some of the ways that WWE have been in some ways in the past. I really battled with it as well when I was watching this because everything in my head was like, this is awful. This is really awful. I'm with Tommy, I think. I don't think it's aged particularly well, but it's not him. It's the treatment of him. And I think that comes more from a discomfort place for me rather than because they're heels. They're going to they're gonna try and exploit someone anyway. And you may as well exploit what is actually a very well-formed character. And based on this show, it's probably one of a handful, if you've got small hands, of very well-formed characters that they actually have at this time. 
Yeah. Come on, Eugene. So next up, we have Eugene and Ric Flair's attempts to win the tag team titles against La Resistance. Um, the match goes for 12 and a half minutes, and it ends when Flair's in the ring. He attempts to get the tag to Eugene, and Conway, Rob Conway attacks Eugene to prevent that from happening. This angers Eugene, and he enters the ring, goes after both members of La Resistance. But unfortunately, after he loses his temper, he shoves the referee away, earning himself and Flair the disqualification. Oh, man, your thoughts on this one? This is very strange. I mean, first off, the singing of the Canadian National Anthem is a thing of beauty. It's really, really good. Someone does have a, a, a sign that says La Retarded, and then the person next to them is Go Back to Canada. And they are the first people on this show who get a proper reaction, because people really hate them. Like, they really, really hate them. Remember when they're from Canada? They really hate them. Like, it's a bit like, come on, lads. We're, to be honest, we're off to a bum start because Eugene, he fails himself here. He's let himself down. He's let me and Tommy down, I think, in particular. And he doesn't come down to his own entrance music. Mm. He comes down with, a, which I get it. I know it's about furthering the story, but sometimes you just got to give the people what they want. <laughs> and I want to, and I want to hear that music because it's an absolute ripper. Oh, this is weird because uh, Eugene and Flair, they just beat up Rob Conway. And this goes on for about six or seven minutes, I think. And then Flair sets up for the figure four. And I'm like, is this just going to end now? And that's going to be it. It doesn't. It goes off a bit. But Eugene, and I'm glad we had the chat about Eugene before this, because he is of, he's doing Ric Flair's stuff. And it is brilliant because it's so well done. And Flair, to his credit, looks legitimately pissed off at the start and then eventually comes around to it as it's kind of working. That's effectively the match, is Eugene kind of knocking off Flair and then eventually winning him over, I think. I don't think it's very good, to be honest, as a wrestling match. But it does get the crowd involved. And I, I didn't mind the finish, but I didn't really like it because I think by the end, I wanted Eugene and Flair to win. And I walked away from it with that. And I was a bit disappointed that they didn't because I wanted to see the awkward interaction, which is probably what they wanted from it, from the fans that are watching. But as a spectacle, it's really not very good, unfortunately. Tom? When I first started watching the match, I was a little bit like, oh, my back was already put up. because so I was like, well, this is the resistance who are heels versus... What is effectively evolution and an, and an offshoot of it here also heals. But obviously, you, it's not really that sense because it's even though like ostensibly Ric Flair is a heel, he's comedy greatest hits Ric Flair now, and there's Eugene on the side. So it was a bit of an odd dynamic. It took me a while to get used to. Like Old Man said, the the Eugene makes a bloody good fist of, of the Flair impressions, and it's quite fun. And when Flair comes in, he basically... You've said this before, Tinky. I think it was when we were talking about the, uh, the ECW one that standard, like the greatest hits montage, if you will. There's just the Ric Flair greatest hits montage twice in the match, mm. which is which is reasonably entertaining. And there's something that I noticed in this match, which I didn't think I'd ever really seen before, which was Ric Flair has a really long-standing vertical suplex in the, in the yeah. match, which I, don't, I didn't ever recall seeing Ric Flair do that before. It's not particularly impressive. It's not like he holds him up there for hours like Davy Boy, like Davy Davy Boy does. But that's about it. That was the thing that kind of piqued my interest was a suplex. <laughs> you know, <what laughs> I mean? like, I don't care about La Resistance. I don't, you know, it's, I don't know. It's just a bit. Again, it's not very good. Not there was a few entertaining moments in it, and I, what I will say for this match is I wasn't bored during it, which is the best that I could have expected. 
I thought this was good. Um, not because it wasn't like they didn't do anything that was particularly like technically brilliant or whatever, but it told a nice story. I liked it. It was entertaining. As you said, you had the Eugene stuff, first of all, where he's pissing Ric Flair off because he's doing all of Flair's stuff, but he's also doing it well and winning the match. And the fans are into it. They're quite they're quite liking it. I agree with you about La Resistance. Like, I don't care about them. And I think the fans don't like them, but they don't they don't really have anything about them at this point. They just seem to be faceless heels, effectively, that are there to be the foil for for flair and eugene and they could have had anyone really in this spot could have had any heel tag team in this spot um because the idea here is just to build on the flair eugene stuff there's one quote that i've got from jim ross in the commentary maybe one of you two can explain or correct me because this is what i heard many have compared flair to the michael jordan of his gender <laughs> No. I got <laughs> no. There, mate. Now I'm pretty sure he meant to say genre. Yeah. But he says gender instead. Also, is a sport a genre? Well, I don't know about that. But all the same, I don't think gender is even a word. So I'm not no. sure what he was going for. But anyway, other than that, the thing that I didn't like about the match is the way it ended. And the reason is, is because we'll, I'm going to kind of get ahead of myself a little bit here, but obviously they are heading for a Triple H Eugene match at SummerSlam. Okay. And I just think they probably thought it will be cleaner if we have, if we don't have Flair and Eugene win the tag team titles. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been far more interesting building to SummerSlam in that match if mm-hmm. Ric Flair and Eugene were the tag team champions. And during this match, as Eugene, first of all, Flair's a bit annoyed with him. But then as the match goes on, Eugene gets the tag, the hot tag from from Flair. He goes in, wins the match for them. They celebrate a bit together and Flair starts to kind of like him or have some sympathy for him. Mm-hmm. So it just builds a little bit more interest into that feud. Um, so I was just really disappointed with the with the end. I felt it should have been a victory for Eugene and Flair. Uh, and I thought the ending was just a bit a bit weak but I, in general i like this i thought this was quite well done and told a good story and it was for me so far anyway the most realized thing on the show that we've had which oh yeah isn't 100%. saying a lot but <laughs> i didn't understand the finish because there's no story then flair is like tommy said he kind of comes in and does the greatest hits and that is effectively what he is with the greatest of respect especially at this stage but yeah it's kind of just so this was something for flair to do so we can like he, they can do this they can be the odd couple and like you said tinky he can kind of warm to him and he can get going and then he can kind of be like hey h what you're doing hey he- hemorrhoid hermaphrodite heidenreich you can't you can <laughs> you can't be mates with him so, but we're tag champions yeah it's just a bit more interesting than having them lose by eugene pushing a referee over yeah which don't make any sense to me anyway because that's kind of the the cheap way that it would have made more sense for flair to do that because then he could be like on the next day he could be like eugene i don't want to hold the tag title with you mate and there's something else to come from it as it is the finish is just oh, okay we won't go anywhere now. The other thing they sort of touched upon in the commentary, which again I thought was quite well done, is they're talking about the fact that Flair's not happy. He's got a team with Eugene. He's not happy that Eugene's doing all this stuff. But the natural instinct instinct to try and win matches is coming mm. through, you know. And so I thought that makes perfect sense. You've you've laid the foundation for that. Have them win the belts, and then Flair will be like, well, now we're the champions. I want to keep the belts. Like I don't want to just because I don't like him. I don't want to like, lose the belts. And so they could have this, you know. And then in the next few weeks on Raw, when Triple H attacks Eugene, they can have Flair be like, you know, not sure about it or hesitant about it or not really wanting him to do it and him occasionally maybe trying to stop him but ultimately kind of being torn and sort of joining in maybe a little bit and it would just make for a much more interesting rich kind of character driven 
story right through to Triple H versus Eugene at SummerSlam. So I just was disappointed by the end, but I thought the match was good. Oh, so some a quick look at the roster, the post-draft roster in 2004, and it is absolute dirt. It's a really light roster as well. There's not that many people in there on the rosters. 55 people on the roster. Is that raw? Is that just the raw roster? Just raw. Yeah. That's still quite a lot for one um, roster. Well, that, that's including women and on-air personalities. Oh, okay. As well. So the people that aren't on the show are Adrian Al Snow, Christian Chuck Palumbo, John Morrison, Heidenreich, yes, uh, Lance Storm, yes, Mark Henry, Maven. Uh, Rodney Mack, Rosie, Scott Steiner, Shawn Michaels, Steve Richards, uh, the Hurricane, Val Venus, and yes! Val Venus was on on the free card. But you probably could have done something with some of those other characters to have another match in there, couldn't you? But would it have just been another shit throwaway match? It might have been, but it might have reduced the time that some of the others took up. I can only assume as well, like Scott Steiner and Shawn Michaels must have been injured or on breaks or something like that at that moment. So that's not taking into account injuries. I, I acknowledge that. But still, you know what I mean? They could have put something else on there. So next up, we get uh, the video, a video package hyping the feud between Kane and Matt Hardy. So we see Kane whispering something to Lita, a proposal to her, um, which she agrees to which we don't know what it is when he is attacking Matt Hardy and she prevents him from attacking him. Then we see Matt Hardy asking Lita to marry him. Uh, and just as she's about to say yes, Kane interrupts and tells Matt that Lita's baby, for she is preg- apparently pregnant at this point, is his. Apparently, the story appears to be that Lita slept with Kane in order to protect Matt from the attacks that Kane was doing. And Lita says that the baby might be Matt Hardy's, but she doesn't know. Thoughts on this storyline? Uh, all I know is that we have seen Kane's Big Red Machine. <laughs> That's it. My my main memory of this is I believe it ends with Snitsky booting the baby into the crowd at some point in the future. Which, anything with Snitsky involved, I'm in. So, this this video package is quite, it's quite weird. I feel like they've done quite a good job at making the feud appear extremely personal. Mm. And there's a lot riding on it. But kind of looking through it with a 2021 lens, there's a large element of victim shaming. Basically, they're like, Kane effectively rapes her. And then she's pregnant, and Matt Hardy's like, well, you're a slag, and walks off. And it's yeah. a bit like, that's not really that's not really the, the dumb thing, is it? Again, it's it's these things where you do look through them with, with a different, you know, lens like these days, you know, knowing, you know, what we know now about and the fact that I like to think we're all better people than we were then. But... It's still just very odd, but they, it's hard, though, because they build Kane up to be a proper, like, monster in it, which mm. is how he kind of should be presented. I just kind of wish they went around, around it a different way, yeah. because it's, it's quite icky. It is. It is. Well, I mean, you're right. It is rape, first of all. It's the first thing to say. It is actually rape. Then also the whole pregnancy angle. So what actually happens, to your point, old man, in the end in this storyline, is that Lita miscarries as a consequence of Gene, Gene Snitsky doing something. Oh, well, I, you know what? I take back my celebration of Snitsky now. So, no, what happened is Lita miscarried after Gene Snitsky struck Kane with a chair, resulting hit him falling on Lita. So that's how that's what happens. It's just not. I don't want to see this on WWE. I just don't. No. don't, don't there's no need for this. Like we're not. This isn't a serious drama. This isn't even a, a soap. You know, where you can handle the emotional roller coaster that these people are going to go on in a mature and sensitive way. You can't do that in wrestling. Just don't don't do this. Just just no. stay away from this shit, because these are real life issues that do affect lots of people. 
Mm-hmm. And you just don't want to, you don't watch WWE to, to kind of be reminded of those things. You watch WWE to um, escape from those things. So I just think it's just, well, just, and, this just is, and this isn't the only time they've done it. They did it with Terry Runnels as well, didn't they? Back yeah. in 98. Yeah. It's just like, when, when you're going to realise that there's, there's certain things just don't fly. And this, and you know, as you said, Tom, there's no real need to to make this the heart no. of the of the Matt Hardy Kane thing. Like it could have, it would have worked just as easily if Lita had been pleading for Matt Hardy's kind of not to be attacked by Kane, and then Kane had just chokeslammed her or tombstoned her maybe, yeah. and and then you'd have been like, oh God, he's just hurt Lita. Now Matt Hardy can go get his revenge. Like that's just as easy. easy. Yeah, yeah. Or, or actually, even more probably tried to, and Matt Hardy made the save. Basically, and then and then Kane eviscerates Matt Hardy. Again, I don't mind if they do that, but they do it in a way that clearly positions the woman as the baby face and the heel as doing something heelish. That is not a problem for me. Again, it's about the context you place it in for me. Mm-hmm. And it's not like we're drawing on a domestic violence thing. This is more about just a heel kind of guy coming in and attacking someone, regardless of whether they're a woman or a man. But yeah, I just whatever. Just just stay away from this stuff. Just stay away from the deep yeah. emotional stuff that you can't deliver on. You just you can't. You you aren't you aren't capable of doing that. So yeah, that is the next match. Kane versus Matt Hardy. And it goes for ten and a half minutes and ends when Kane forces Lita to step aside as she tries to stop Matt Hardy being attacked again. Um, but as that happens, Matt recovers, grabs a chair and hits the steel steps that Kane is holding into Kane and then pins him which actually sounds vaguely familiar now I now yeah. I say them out loud but Tom um tell us what you thought about this match so I don't think the ending's very good and uh, what what we saw before is X-Pac kicking that's right the chair the, the the steel steps into Kane's face but then like pinned the stairs onto mm-hmm. him which meant that he couldn't kick out which is a bit of a missed trick, I think, in the finish of this match. Um, mm. So I didn't think it was very that the end was actually very good. But the actual match I quite enjoyed. For a start, there's Kane's goat music on the on the way down as well. With the in the water and over sure. And then you got fucking Matt Hardy's I can fuck a tornado or whatever it says. It's just it's just great, great music, great, great couple of bits of interest music. I fucking love that Matt Hardy just runs straight down to the ring. No, yeah. like just to start hitting him straight away. And Kane goes straight for him as well. No fucking posing, Luger. <laughs> um, I thought it was really good. There's quite a lot of intensity. They're brawling around the ring for ages before they get in, which I thought again added to the added to like the kind of intensity of it. JR and Jerry Lawler have an argument about consent, which seems pretty on the nose. Right. Big, um in it when he's thought it, it was just and i can't remember specifically what they said but i can remember thinking oh hello do you really want to get into this again the the, the crowd are pretty quiet throughout the whole match as well again they're really quite again only only seemingly get getting up for it when there's like a high spot or a weapon move or something like that there's a we want tables chant which yeah. can fuck off i mean i, I we, me and tinky have me and tinky have discussed this before but i hate we want tables chants just fuck off you indult you know you fucking cunts and I also, I wanted to have a quick discussion about Kane, if you guys would. Oh, me. always. Is is Kane a little bit underappreciated? Because it's one of these things where we talk about, like, and rightly so, about The Undertaker being, like, there's the reason why he's so good, because you get big men and then you get big men. And The Undertaker's one of those big men. He can go and go and go, and he's so good. And so can Kane, to be fair. Like, Kane can get on the top rope and fly off and make it look convincing he can go he's got the stamina to to, to have these matches the, the, i think the problem is that the way 
that the um, what, what I think has happened again we may have discussed this before so forgive me but I think they've always done some of the more outlandish mad ideas that they could potentially have done with the Undertaker and use them on Kane which means that you can't take the actual character as seriously but there's been several kind of iterations of the Kane character showing that he can do Glenn Jacobs I mean can do multiple kind of takes on the character so he can do the the kind of the terrifying like serial killer almost look, look there then there's like the 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 introduction where he was basically the faux undertaker but in a bit more of a like an intense costume there's the comedy that he's done with like when he's been in tag teams with like X-Pac and and Rob Van Dam and obviously later Daniel Bryan and I think that because he was just around so much and was used in such a way constantly where you never really had to take him seriously and they never delivered on the promises of him potentially being such a an absolute killer of, of a character that he's kind of like just faded out and you're like oh it's just fucking Kane again do you know what I mean like, I, and I just wonder what you guys think about that I don't think he's underappreciated in general I think he's always going to going to have been one of these people because now he's stepped away he doesn't really I know he's at the rumble but he doesn't really wrestle anymore he was always going to be one of these people I think that was more appreciated once he walked away and people thought about the length of career. Kind of like a, a, a footballer who goes through a great career, wins everything, but then starts to fade as, as their career goes on. They People start to go, oh, why is he being picked? He's just he's just there for reputation's sake. And it's kind of like that with Kane. I think sometimes people towards the end of his career were like, oh, God, it's not Kane again. Like, it's just reputation is keeping him there. But it's also just consistency and and a faith in from management in him because he can, as you say, do everything. So I don't know if he's underappreciated. Um, maybe he's underappreciated by, underappreciated by certain segments of the wrestling fan base. But I don't think overall he's underappreciated. I certainly don't think WWE underappreciate him. I think they've absolutely shown he's now a Hall of Famer, of course. Um, and they've absolutely shown that now he is somebody that they have always appreciated. And I think you hear anybody talk about him, any of the other wrestlers talk about him. They, you know, they can't say enough about him. He's clearly been someone who's always shown quite a good attitude as well, because he got given a lot of chances to get over. Like he was Isaac Yankum. He was the fake Diesel before he became Kane. So they obviously felt like this is a guy... He's got something about him. We like him. We we don't, you know, he, he always just does what we ask him to do and does it well. So we're going to give him this opportunity as Kane. And I think originally Kane is probably only supposed to be another, as we spoke about with Mankind a few weeks ago, another Monster of the Week for The Undertaker. I mean, I don't think anyone expected him when he turned up to be here, still be in WWE you know, by the two decades later and be a Hall mm. of Famer. But the fact that he has done that is testament first of all to wwe's commitment to keeping giving him stuff to do but also his commitment and his consistency in the role that he's done so underappreciated i don't know but certainly deserves a lot of credit for the career he's had i think the one issue that he had in particular in the last probably the last maybe five ten years of his like full-time run was he had phases of being he like in this match towel king was in incredible shape and he lost that along the way and he became very plodding i think like there was he kind of lost that ability to have and his age as well but aging not being quite in the shape that he was i think he kind of lost that step so i can see i can see how a younger wrestling fan than us would probably underappreciate him but like he had a good run of 10 years where you could pretty much put him in there with anyone and he'd have a decent match because i like tommy I think this is, up until the finish, is great. This is really good because they start off hot and what happens is Kane kind of takes control and he keeps cutting off Matt Hardy's comebacks. 
so the crowd they're trying to get the crowd into it the crowd kind of towards the end like when Lita comes down they're kind of into it a bit more but the crowd don't give this the respect it deserves because this is by far the best thing on the show so far by a distance for in-ring work in particular and they're both really good in this absolutely top class work from both of them i was like matt hardy i don't really like the twist of fate when he does the little shout but i i've always liked him as a wrestler and i think kane's on very good formula like i said he's in great shape and it's just let down by a really anticlimactic finish that also probably makes kane look a bit crap as well because he gets beaten by a chair shot to some steps into the head which he's not really taken enough offense during the match to kind of warrant that beating him i didn't think and i was a bit disappointed that it had finished to be honest when it did so i think that played into my feeling on the end as well it's interesting you said about matt hardy there because i was going to suggest and it's interesting as well like uh, tom that you talked about kane being underappreciated because i was going to suggest that in the over the course of the weeks we've been doing this podcast we have found matt hardy to be one of the more underappreciated talents mm. and we've because we, i think we all kind of appreciate what he did at wrestlemania 19 um and i think there was another match that i can't remember now that we all thought was actually a bit better than you know it, we felt like we des- we needed to give matt hardy some credit because mm. the having the career he's had when he could so mm. easily have been the marty Ginetti of the hardy boys he deserves some credit for as well so mm. an interesting one this one i i thought it was okay i i'm, I'm not going to go as far as you and say it's the best thing we've had on the show so far i'm still going to give that to the previous tag match but i still liked it i did think it was i thought it was decent as i said i think maybe just the storyline sullied it for me to be honest i just think it's mm. a bit like i don't really I, they're fighting over something that i don't think they should be even yeah. in this um in 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 this situation so yeah for me not the best and after the match of course backstage we see matt hardy catch up to lita and tells Lita to stay away from the ring to protect the baby. And he also says until he sorted out everything with Kane to stay away from him. So that, that kind of leads into everything that would come later on. So before we carry on, let's take a quick break. And then we can come back in Beautiful. just a few moments and take on the final three matches of the show. What's the matter, Eugene? I, I, I just talked to Chris Benoit. Really? Mm-hmm. And what did Chris Benoit say? Let me guess, Eugene, let me guess. Chris Benoit said he doesn't want to fight you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chris Benoit said that he... Did he tell you I, I lied to you? He said that. Let me get. Let me guess some other things. Did he, Benoit tell you I, I manipulate you? Mm-hmm. He, he say I use you? Mm-hmm. That I'm just using you to get the championship back? Yeah. Yeah. God, Benoit's such a liar. I can't believe it. It makes me sick. God, next thing you're going to tell me is that he told you that uh, that he wanted to be your friend. He told me that. He did? Uh-huh. Can you believe that? This is the same Chris Benoit that smashed you in the head with a steel chair, right? Yeah. He did. Yeah, yeah, and he wants to be your friend, huh? This is the same Chris Benoit that punched you last week. Yeah, he did that. <laughs> yeah. Chris Benoit's a liar, Eugene. Can you see that? lying to you. A liar. Yeah, he's a liar. A liar. But you know what? I'm going to put an end to Chris Benoit tonight. We are. We're going to put an end to Chris Benoit. Would you like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's a liar. Evolution's your friends, not Chris Benoit. 
But you know what, Eugene? Let's let's put all that lying, using stuff behind us. Let's forget all about Chris Benoit. And let's think about something happy. Like, like let's think about the big surprise that we have for Eugene. That's right. I have a huge surprise for you. As a matter of fact, we have a huge surprise for you. Rick, run and get Eugene's surprise, would you? Eugene. Huge surprise you and a nature boy went to go get it. Wait till you see this because this is gonna make you so happy. That oh would you look at that, Eugene, huh? For me look at that. Be careful with it though, that's very expensive. You don't want the nature boy getting hot. Look at that. Huh? Look at it. Let me see that. Nature boy. <laughs> that makes you happy, doesn't it? Yeah. Hey, Eugene, Eugene, who loves you? Evolution! Yeah! Woo! That's right. <laughs> Evolution loves you, Eugene. Okay, welcome back. So as I said before, we went away. We've got three matches left to go. First of those matches is Randy Orton versus Edge, which we get a video package hyping, first of all. It starts with the charting of Orton's intercontinental title, Reign. We see Orton destroying a series of legends as the legend killer uh, until Edge returns from an injury where he promises to take out Evolution one by one. Shall I go straight into the match, or do you have any thoughts on the video package? The the only note I had on this was... Video package is very good, and the there was some incredibly dramatic music in the background, which added some urgency to proceedings, and I was excited. I just don't understand where it's like I've been at home. I don't like you. That's our match. The whole thing is that he's watched Evolution run roughshod over the rest of the roster, and yeah, I don't really, have, I don't really have any problem with it to be honest, because it's kind, of, it's also what else do you do? He can't come back and say like. I don't like you. Why? You've been at home. Um, got a bad ankle. Uh, and you've got a good ankle, so I don't like it. I want. I want yeah. Shut up. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't mind the. I don't mind the premise. I just don't think it lends itself to being particularly personal. Although I didn't think that they they positioned the match as particularly personal, so I didn't mind it. Yeah. The match itself goes a gut busting twenty six and a half minutes. Uh, the end sequence. So Orton leapfrogs a spear, but then Edge gets a backslide for a near fall. Edge then runs Orton into the exposed turnbuckle that had been exposed earlier on by Orton. He hits a spear and then gets the pin. Old man, let's start with you. Take your time and <laughs> and uh, shoot from the heart. I'm going to very much surprise you, boys, because I really like this. I like this a lot. So for the listener, Thomas just made a face. I was shocked how much I like this because I accidentally saw how long the match was before. <laughs> And I was like, oh, this could be a this could be a bit of a tough old slog. I paid a lot of attention to this because I was like, right, I watched the uh, Randy Orton Broken Skull sessions when it was launched on WWE. And I was very interested to hear him talk about everything. And I've heard Edge talk about Orton a few times on um, Edge and Christian's podcast that they used to do. So I was watching and these are two lads. They just do a lot of like little nuanced things. Very well, I think. Like Orton, there's like a few little things that like he properly wrenches in when he's got someone in a bloody chin lock. He ain't holding it. He's wrenching it in and he's making a point. He also does like 
little things like Edge is trying to get out of there or tries to bite his fingers. Oh, well, there's an excessive amount of chin lock in this match, which I think that's why I started paying attention to the little things that the two guys were doing, because I was, if I wasn't, I would have been become dangerously close to nodding off. And I can completely understand why the crowd, because at one point they kind of air into some boring chants, can completely understand it, can completely understand where they're coming from. But watching it, I just I just enjoyed that it was they made it feel like it meant something, this match. It engaged me in a way that I don't think a match had to this point on the show. I am also a big fan of Edge and I like Orton. Orton's hard to love because he's had so much dirt years, which I think he himself has admitted. But it's just, it's a real slow burner. Kind of feeds into the Kane-Matt Hardy match where Edge is kind of trying to come back at points and Orton cuts him off. The difference between that match and this match is that Orton cuts him off with chin locks, which for some viewers might have not been that interesting. But because of the little things that they both do during this kind of keeps me going. And I think the last few minutes is absolutely top class stuff in terms of like they kind of up the pace and there's a nice little nice little finishing uh, section that you went through, Tinky. And it's also, I think, the difference between the two lads in the ring to everything else we've seen before is noticeable. And this is obviously, what, a month removed from Orton becoming world champion. And Edge will have the rocket strapped to him in January of 2005. And I can see why. And this kind of feels like a tester match for both of them to kind of go out and go, look, can you go 25 minutes and keep people engaged? And it bloody worked for me. Well done, lads. Did it work for you, Tom? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I found... Sorry, man, I, got, I completely mm. disagree. I found this match so fucking boring. So long. There were so many chin locks. Ah, And... It was just, oh, God, it just did. But for a start, it's for the horrible Intercontinental Championship belt. Whilst I think it is boring, there is a boring champ, which I don't like. I don't like that. No. Afraid, even though it was boring. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's just, I kept waiting for the pace to pick up, and it just never did until the last two minutes of the match. And that's when the crowd finally come alive. And that's when I find it interesting. It's far too long, far too methodical. I appreciate the... The nuances. I noted the bit where he tries to bite his hands and and things like that. But oh, I just this was not for me at all. I was channeling. I was channeling you when we were talking about all of the bloody Hall of Fame segments, the Slambery oh, yeah. reunion. Why is it so boring? Why is yeah. this match so boring? <laughs> oh, I know we. I know we had to. We had to put like a little bit of a, a kibosh in the use of that word. But that was just how I felt during this match. I was so bored the entire time. Not for me. Not for me at all. I'm going to go with Tom here, I'm afraid. Um, that's all right. You fucking Philistines. Yeah, f- Philistines. I'm there. sure that's it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just, I was, I agree. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you, they never pick the pace up. And every single time you think it's going to pick up, Orton just takes time about doing something. Edge will maybe have a comeback and then Orton mows Edge down. And then he takes like two more minutes to even apply the chin lock. And then the chin lock lasts 15 minutes. I just like, for fuck's sake, let him out of the chin lock. Let us all out of the chin lock. 
so yeah, I, I, I didn't enjoy it. The last two minutes are superb. The last two minutes are fantastic. They're really amazing. It's just I, it's the, it's the previous twenty four that I have a problem with. It's weird though. When I was watching this, I was kind of like, oh, this is this is really boring, really long. I'm not interested, not enjoying this at all. And I thought, God, that was a long fifteen minute match. Sure, that really felt like a long fifteen minute match. And then I saw that it was twenty six minutes. I was like, fucking hell. I, I wasn't. It wasn't that I was just not up for it. It really was a long match. Yeah, it really was a chore, this one. It was a chore. But, you know, I like the fact... I was really hoping, actually, that one of you would really like at least one of these matches, if not both of the the sort of two main matches on the show, because I really wanted that contrast of of enjoyment. And, uh, yeah, I'm with Tom, I'm afraid. The fact that the last two minutes are so good really annoyed me, almost. (laughs) Lazy cunts have done this earlier. Jesus, I couldn't understand a slow plodding first 10 minutes of the next 15 are absolutely banging. And we've I, we've discussed babyface singles edge before, specifically for me, pre-rated R superstar. And whilst he's quite good in the ring, the character just does nothing for me either. I, I, I'm a big, I do like edge, but specifically when he turns here, wins the belt after the money, you know, gets into the money in the bank at the next WrestleMania then cashes in and becomes a heel and starts that feud with Cena. That's when I, that's from that point where I really like it. Whereas for me, at this stage in his career, I'm just a bit like, I could take him or leave him. I think the fans seem to be feeling that way as well, because there is let's go Orton chance quite audibly yes. throughout this match. Um, and that might be also due to the fact they like Orton a lot, but it does, you do hear it and you're like, mm, maybe they, maybe they aren't that keen on edge. And I have to agree actually with Tom about the characterization here, um, because I remember something in Power Slam, I think it was where uh, Finn Martin was talking about edge and said something to the effect of for, since edge has come into the WWE, he has had the you think you know me at the beginning of his uh, of his music and you're like we still haven't really learned anything new about you we still don't you know we don't think we know you because you haven't told us anything about you there's nothing is there some mystery about you or is this it is this all you've got and it just i have to that's the way i feel about this character is it's just a bit like what is it what what, what, what is it supposed to be mysterious you know is that kind of again going back to what i said about finn balor in a way and alistair black this kind of vague sense of mystery where there is no mystery there's nothing below the surface it's just oh we're a bit mysterious <laughs> that's it yeah it's tough as well because i think that kind of like feeds into like tom's issue with what this match is based around is that he's kind of been watching him i think that does kind of play into the fact that he doesn't really have a character and he's very much in between in this phase like we said like he's just about he's about six months away from cashing in and winning the world title on Cena at New Year's Revolution 2005 like that's kind of where it all like kicks off but yeah I kind of I think that's why I like this match because I feel like it's like I know what's going to come from both of these lads and I'm kind of excited for it also I think though is worth saying that Edge by this point they say he's a five-time intercontinental champion He's been around mm. for six years and we know nothing about him. It's not a surprise that his babyface run didn't work. He's clearly a gifted wrestler, but there was just nothing about him. I wanted to also, though, kind of... Because what I said about the fact that it was a long 15-minute match, because I did think, whilst I was watching it, this, this can't be more than 15 minutes. It's for the Intercontinental title. Surely it's not gone that long. And when I saw this morning and looked at the amount of time, it's like, oh, wow, that was a long match. And it felt long, but now I know why. And I think maybe I give them a pass in some ways because clearly 
they there is a sense here where they are filling time they you know to your point right at the beginning of the show like this one goes 26 minutes there's no way this match goes 26 minutes in my mind unless they they need to fill time is too much but it probably would have been too much at 10 minutes the way this match goes at the end hey, the to, to, to be fair 26 not enough i want more <laughs> so this is where i think maybe something's been cut out because yes we, we don't see anything and it goes straight back to the the, the arena um mm. i'd be interested to know what all these things are because we see this a lot through the 2000s there seems to be lots of these little bits that are cut out I, I think they're probably just adverts or stuff like that or some like you said things with like licensed music or mm. adverts i don't know because it, it doesn't because i've looked on the wikipedia page and there aren't any matches or it doesn't appear to be any segments that have been cut out as far as i can tell so yeah i just wonder if it's just if it's literally just like they've got a promo for some, someone that they're not like so i don't it couldn't even be something as petty as like something they had like an acrimonious split with some sponsors or something like that and we're like mm. well we're not going to give them any free advertising on our old stuff now or they don't have the license for the music maybe that's used in the in whatever that is i i don't yeah. think there's any con- i don't think there's any content no i don't i don't think it is either i think you're absolutely right it's probably what it is i'd just be interested to know what it is i just don't i, I, just I reckon it's a video of a load of dicks probably <laughs> sweaty dicks yeah. i think that's probably the most likely thing so let's yeah. just assume that that's what happened yeah we then get match number six of the pay-per-view which is a six-minute match between molly holly and victoria and is for the number one contendership for the women's title it ends when victoria hits a big super kick to get the win tom thoughts on this one do you know what i thought this was all right to be fair i think that victoria and molly holly were both solid hands in the ring the premise of the match really is is molly holly working victoria's left arm which kind of ties into the finish because yeah she gives the hit a finisher which looks like a razor's edge to me but i'm not quite sure what it was but her arm gives out and then she ends up just booting her in the face and pinning there's only so much they could do in six minutes even considering that it's quite a short match i think that was probably quite a long match for women's wrestling at the time i think they should have been given a bit more time especially considering what we've just discussed and even though it is for the number one contenders match it still doesn't feel like there's any real point behind it or that anyone cares because it's not presented in a manner which makes you think that you should care about it you know the crowd aren't in for this i think personally they probably they're a bit like fucking that last match was a bit and are a bit like worn out or a bit bored maybe by the time they get to this how dare you (laughs) well look let's not cry to you mate (laughs) (laughs) and yeah i thought it was a better i thought it was a decent match i I thought it was pretty good but there wasn't much they could do in the time they were given with the resources and and the the kind of storyline going into it really which there doesn't really appear to have been one no, yeah, the the main thing that they focus on is the fact that Molly Holly is wearing a wig. Mm. And uh, Lola is very excited about this. And then I stopped listening. And a little note on Victoria's music. Now, I couldn't remember who it was, but we had some music. Again, it was for a female wrestler a couple of months back, I think it was. And I said, this is probably the worst music I've ever heard. This is on a par with it. Her music is dreadful because it's so out of keeping with the victoria character that i know so it doesn't really make sense she's because i haven't seen any of this like it doesn't it don't work for me she's got a cracking knee brace on victoria as well and i can't really disagree with anything that tom said about the match i thought it was a pretty decent way to spend six minutes i would have preferred this 
to the potential Val Venus match that we missed in the pre-show. And yeah, I thought, well done. I do. Thankfully, we've got a six-minute match, so we've got plenty of time for the main event because I <laughs> won't want them to run out of time. <laughs> the music that you might be talking about, I don't know, but I do remember one suggestion that Melina's music was the worst. No. Because of the, but, cause, but you seem to remember that well, so I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that's, the, that's her music. That's I really love was. that music. I am going to try and find this out. In terms of my thoughts on the match... I really am got a lot to say. I can't. I think Tom's covered it fine. It was there. It went away. It didn't bother me. It didn't. It didn't really make much of an impression. It was immediately forgettable, and it was designed to be immediately forgettable. It was designed to be between the two big matches of the night, which is unfortunately the position the women were very often given at this time in WWE's history. So yeah, that's it. Next up, we see a video package of Chris Benoit's title reign, very similar to the opening montage we get for the show, um, and a build to his match with Triple H, which involves Eugene a lot. Flair says bringing Eugene into Evolution will kill their gimmick. It's another inside yeah. reference that uh, is not not particularly appreciated. I don't, I'm not a big fan of insider references in wrestling. I don't, I'm not a big fan of it. And yeah, that's effectively the build for Benoit versus Triple H. Obviously, Triple H is in the meantime t- are taking care of Shawn Michaels, so he's out of the picture for the time being. And now Triple H can go one on one with Benoit, apparently, as Jim Ross says, for the first time. The match itself goes a bollock crushing 29 minutes. 29 minutes <laughs> it is for the world heavyweight championship it ends when eugene gets himself involved he picks up a chair but can't decide who to hit with the chair benoit tries to take the chair away from eugene and they end up in a tug of war and as eugene wins the tug of war his momentum takes the chair into triple h's head benoit then rolls up triple h philippine to retain the belt oh man why don't you go for this one and see if you can surprise us once more well, Triple H thinks he's in the Can-Am connection with his white boots. Don't like any match with Triple H in white boots. It's the worst. Tri- white yeah. boots Triple H is the worst incarnation yeah. of Triple H. I didn't realise that was an official incarnation of Triple H, but I, <laughs> yeah. I wanted to go with it. Self-indulgent, overly long bollocks matches. Sorry, yeah. man. This is very annoying, this match, because what I estimate is probably the first 10 to 12 minutes. It's pretty good. And then Eugene appears. Now, this isn't anything to discredit Eugene, but the finish that you just talked about, Tinky, I don't know how long it goes on for in genuine time, but it felt like it went on for about a fortnight. Because you know what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen. We all know what's going to happen. The crowd know. Everyone knows. But it takes so long to go on. And oh, oh, you, 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 with your enjoyment of the chin locks, you can't, you can't say nothing. <laughs> this is the the thing is the chin lock served a purpose. It's to lock someone's chin. Whereas the wrestling with the chair, like th- this, went on so long. This end bit that I felt bad for everyone involved because I was just like, this is horrendous to be honest as much as i say the first 10 to 12 minutes is good there is a bomb note in this in that benoit puts on a sharpshooter that is horrendous i met tommy was fucking spitting feathers because it's just a really crap sharpshooter oh well really yeah honey he sat on his ass there, there, there's a before he tries to climb out and go to the ropes is not a bad sharpshooter that's when it all goes to shit and the problem is is that people didn't last that long in the sharpshooter when brett put it on no. People never got to the ropes. But up until that point, it's a pretty tidy sharpshooter. Uh, oh, no. 
times. Um, anyway, <laughs> I, think, I, I think Tinky agrees with me. I do. I thought it was ugly. I thought it just looked like he was sat down on his ass. No, no, that was just his face. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, 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 being being that you brought me into the middle of this one, Tom, yeah. I will give my comment on it. I agree with Tom. I think that's exactly the, the assessment yeah, I had. Yeah, was yeah. that when he first locks in, it's all right, and then Triple H drags into the ropes, and then yeah, it falls apart. Yeah. But in fairness. Did Brett ever have to deal with someone trying to get to the ropes while they no. were in the sharpshooter? I don't think he did. So they already quit by that point. That's the thing. That's because he put in a really good sharpshooter and they couldn't do that oh, because yeah, of the angle that he was at. See, he always keep faving us, old man. Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyway, back to this. Like I said, first half, quite enjoyed it. And then Eugene comes down and I didn't enjoy it. And it's not a very good angle anyway, to be honest, what they're going through. But, I mean, they make Benoit look like shit with this. They're building up. This, oh, this is the first time Triple H and Benoit have ever met one-on-one. Just give him that victory. Just give him it. Just once. Just one time. Give him some credibility so that he can... I mean, Benoit, I think it might be the next night on Raw or the week after that, fights Eugene for the title. I mean, it's just bollocks. It's bollocks. And I know Benoit, he didn't have the best couple of years after this. And his memory is, quite rightly, in complete tatters because of what he did. But as a champion and how they've portrayed that, like, oh, he's bloody, he's fought all his life for this. They just make him look like, it could be anyone. It could be one of us, to be honest. The way he wins it, it could be one of us. I'm going to step in here because there's a few things I've got to say. First of all, to suggest that Benoit's not had a great couple of years after this is probably the strangest <laughs> fucking thing I've ever heard. Yeah, a couple of people had it worse, I'm afraid. <laughs> he's, 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 he's not had the best years after this. Uh, um, euphemism all over the place. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. On a more serious note, and I'm sorry, Tom, I'm going to cut in and give you my opinion first. No, because no, no. because I, it's funny, because whilst I agree with Old Man in terms of the overall quality of the match, the reasons for me are the complete opposite to Old Man's opinion on it. <laughs> so for me, all night, you've been building up the idea that Triple H and Evolution are manipulating Eugene. And Benoit's trying to convince him that that's what they're doing, but he can't. And we've seen highlights within the video package of how things keep going wrong, which mean that it adds to the sense that Benoit's against Eugene when he's not. And then you try and present us with 15 minutes of straight Triple H Benoit one on one. You're like, this isn't going to be the end. We know this isn't going to be the end yeah. because you've been building to Eugene for the last month and the whole of the night. It should Eugene should have come down with Triple H and should have been the whole match should have been about Eugene and what he did in it. He shouldn't have had the first 50 minutes. The first 50 minutes was completely pointless because you knew it wasn't going to end. And for me, it was a case of once again that we've spoke about this before. Triple H's ego getting in the way because he wants to have the quality in quote unquote wrestling match with somebody else of the quality of Benoit instead of just doing what serves the story best in terms of what actually serves where are you going with this best which is to just have Eugene from the start in the at ringside you could have 10 minutes of straight wrestling where Eugene doesn't get involved but still have Eugene there so that we know that that's what's coming and then slowly over the course of time Triple H can start cheating and Eugene can be a bit like oh I don't know about that and you know have him respond to some of the stuff that's going on until you build to what ends up being the finish which I agree the finish is a little bit clumsy i didn't like the tug of war thing and the chair going into triple h's head that didn't that didn't look very good at all and it didn't really help triple h look look strong but i just think the first 50 minutes were pointless because you knew eugene was the was the main focus of the end you knew that was going to happen when when are people going to realize more people more importantly wrestling promoters specifically WWE wrestling promoters that no, nothing good ever happens as a result of a tug of war 
in a wrestling yeah. ring. It always <laughs> just makes me remember when fucking Raw closed with the uh, with Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar having a tug of war over the belt. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. As it never looks good. Sorry, Tinker, I'd had to get that in there. No, you're right though. You're right. Um, so yeah, so I also thought it was a poor match, but for the complete different reasons to you. Well, oh man. N- no, I think we agree because I I knew Eugene was going to get in, get in for the finish. Didn't stop me enjoying. I'm not saying that they needed the first 10 to 12, 15 minutes, but I enjoyed it for what it was because I probably knew it was as good as it was going to get. I think if if this match had been the length it should have been, it, should, it would have been 15 minutes. And it wouldn't have had the first 15 minutes of this match. It would have had yeah. ultimately the second 15 minutes where you'd have Eugene come down from the start. And here's the other thing, though, I wanted to say. <laughs> There's a, the premise is all messed up. It doesn't make any sense. Because Triple H is putting all this work in to manipulate Eugene. He's desperately trying to manipulate him. But his game plan is to knock the referee down, apparently, because that's what the commentators allude to, mm. to knock the referee down and then get Eugene to attack Benoit. You're the head of the Evolution stable. You could just use one of those guys to interfere yeah. in this match and help you win. Why have you spent all this time and effort manipulating Eugene? It makes no sense. It's ridiculous. It's a terrible premise for a match. But then you've undercut that premise by having them just wrestle for 20 minutes without any, without Eugene even being there and us knowing that that's going to not end until he gets there. So, yeah, for me, it's just badly executed. What they did was fine. Technically, I thought it was OK. I wasn't even anywhere near as bored watching this as I was the Edge of Randy Orton match, got to be honest. But still, it wasn't good. I was on a diner as soon as I saw the white boots. And then I was like, you know, I'm going to pause this, have a little coffee, because I'll be honest, I was feeling quite tired, because at this point it's probably about half seven, eight o'clock. And I was like, I still also have enough time, I think, to watch this. And then I looked at the time left, and I was like, oh, bloody hell, you're right, Tiki, this is a bollock-busting fucking 30 minutes we're going to look forward to. I found the first bit quite weird, like, like similar to what Tinky said, but... The, there's a period in the match when they do about six headlock takedowns into head scissors and then Triple H kicks out of it and they just keep doing the same thing in a row. And I was a bit like, that seems a bit odd on based on the you know, a feud that's seemingly quite personal and as Tinky said, involves the manipulation of another person who's not there. There's a couple of just moments in, in the match that I did want to mention though. Chris Benoit does a fucking diving headbutt and misses. And I dread to think the trauma that did to his body. Mm. It looks fucking brutal. He does a, like an awful like dive top rope plancher over the top rope or through the ropes into Triple H. And it looks like he nearly kills him in, in the process. And I was like, oh, God. There's an absolutely phenomenal ref bump from Mike Kyoda. Yes. He gets, he gets caught. And he was absolutely hurtling out of the ring. Oh, what an absolute lad. I noticed in this match, there's quite a few bits where it's quite poor direction. So I'm thinking two instances specifically. There's one instance where Triple H low blows Chris Benoit and you don't see it. And there's another bit where I think Triple H, uh, Benoit gets the chair off of Triple H. And like hits him with it and you don't see it either. It's it's really, really bizarre bit of directing that I bet Vince was absolutely fuming about. And in terms of the ends, either have him there all the way or don't or have him there just at the ends. You're right, old man. The end bit does go on for a long time. Because it's actually before the bit you described to him, he comes down. He comes down when Benoit's got um Triple H in the in the crossface. And he's there going, Get the ref, get the ref. And it's like who's <laughs> in the box? Was in a bar, you know, it's a bit like that. 
and it, and it just it, that bit like all it should do all or nothing like as you said kind of have either come down right at the end to have a direct effect in the ending of the match or having right down from the beginning not this not this kind of mishmash between the two and also ending with a really anticlimactic roll-up wasn't really mm. for me I, I, did, I didn't see the benefits of that at all i just think that the the tug of war visual just didn't work because eugene so obviously swings the chair hard back it's yeah. so obviously not just the momentum is what i'm saying you know what i mean it's, it's yeah. so not just the momentum that takes him it's so obviously actually is trying to swing it really hard back so he's triple in the head were you not were you, did you not because i was really surprised when it happened because for some reason triple h is getting up really slowly at chair swinging heights <laughs> <laughs> and i'm pretty sure he shouts for it to happen as well and it's not even a very good chair shot and i'm glad Dommy pointed out the uh, pin because yeah it's just weird like you've had kane the big red machine the monster beaten by some steps being hit with a chair back to his head back on his head which doesn't look very good and then you've got triple h the cerebral assassin who hasn't taken any punishment to this point for ages because of all the shit that's going on beaten by a pretty flimsy chair shot very weird very weird it wasn't the best ending and i I, you know it doesn't do anything for benoit but i don't think it hurts him necessarily i guess triple h will probably argue that he's already tapped out for him at wrestlemania so you know he's not gonna he's not gonna keep putting him over is he he's done he's done it once that's that's probably already annoyed him so yeah so i guess it's time for us to give us our summary um give us our thoughts about you know how we felt about the show overall our scores out of 10 our MVP of the show and our match of the night. I'm going to start with you, Tom. Overall, I'm giving it a four. I'm going to give it a three. Um, but my, my scoring on this kind of ties into my MVP. My MVP of the night is Eugene um, because he ties together quite a lot of pay-per-view. He's involved in the, um, in the uh, obviously, in the match with Ric Flair. He's kind of paramount to the storyline, even though it's not utilised very well at the end. And with that in mind, that's what bumped it up to a four as well. The fact that there is a little... There's just something that ties the pay-per-view together. It's not great, but it's something, and that's it. And my match of the night is Kane versus Matt Hardy, because despite the the daft ending, there's these little things that I want, which not catch me off guard, but they're different. And it mainly all stems from Matt Hardy running down to the ring <laughs> and going after him straight away. And it sounds it sounds like a daft thing to that to that to make it my match of the night, but again, it was just something. <laughs> <laughs> It's a weird one, this, because obviously I enjoyed the Orton Edge match a heck of a lot more than you boys did. I think the uh, Kane-Matt Hardy match is tidy. As we've discussed, don't really like the stuff around it. But up until that point, I think it's a very poor show. I also didn't mind the first half of the title match. So I'm giving this a 5 out of 10. It almost gets a 6, but the end of the main event, I think, is just... The length of time that the end of the main event takes takes off a point. Uh, the match of the night for me, unsurprisingly, is Wharton and Edge. And my MVP, because well, it was possibly going to be Eugene, but I'm glad uh, I'm glad I didn't get first. So I'm going to give it to Sylvain Grenier for his singing of the Canadian national anthem. <laughs> it's just really good, and it's the first it's the first real bit of and this is a weird thing to say, but the first real bit of a uh, class on the show. I think it's the first thing that actually feels like it means something and actually involves the crowd. So well done, Sylvan. I'm going to give it a four. It's difficult because at board as I was during large parts of the two main matches, they weren't bad necessarily. They were just 
really dull. The MVP is definitely going to be Eugene for me. I think he is the best thing on the show, characterised well. The stuff he does in the flare match, really good. He is, ultimately, this show could have been a really good example of how you can do a focus on one character and make a really big deal of that character and through over the course of the night so you get the first bits where they talk about where is eugene he's speaking to benoit benoit's trying to convince him that the the evolution are trying to um, manipulate him to do stuff that that isn't right then you have him and flair i think should have won the tag belts which have been really good as well another way to set this main event up then you could have had eugene come out with triple h from the start and and then do what he does in the main event make the main event less a less long match and of course the end of this show the fact that eugene accidentally hits triple h with the the chair is what then leads to them facing each other at SummerSlam. so yeah so i think he's the mvp but i think it could have been so much better executed over the course of the show i think there was just so much more to be done here and so much you know it just cut out some of the excess and it would have been a really good show long storyline my match of the night is a really difficult one I'm going to give it to Eugene and Flair versus the La Resistance because I just liked it. I thought it was a good, well-realized piece of stuff. Just the ending was poor, but the ending was poor for so much of this a match <laughs> of this show. And I was tempted to give it to the main event, but I, having been so negative against it, I just feel like I can't now. So, yeah, four for me. Not the best show. Glad to be done with it and will never revisit it no. uh, ever again. <laughs> Um, what you said about having the show kind of built around the one character made me think of, and I, we've definitely discussed this in the past, the episode of Raw that's basically about Ken Shamrock. Yeah. When he's yeah. trying to find Stephanie. Yeah. It's such a great episode of Raw. So when she's kidnapped initially, isn't it? Before like Austin gets involved, isn't it? Yeah, and he start, it starts, though, with Shane kind of turning on Vince. Mm. and you got all the corporate ministry in the ring, and Shane turns on Vince. Vince walks off sadly, and then Shamrock storms out basically and, and refuses to to stay with the corporate ministry and so you kind of suddenly shamrock's cast into this caring hero role having been a heel going in and it's just a really really good little bit but yeah um ultimately undone later on when you find out vince is the higher power and therefore shamrock should have known that and yeah not a problem with it never mind so before we get to the game which i am hosting this week um Woo! a nudge or a shove or a full-on wrangle, I don't know if that's a word, into uh, giving us a rating or review on your podcasting app of choice. It would be very much appreciated. Uh, we always like to hear good things about the podcast. So, the game this week. It's quite a big one, and it's quite an elementary one, mainly because I'd forgotten until about 10 minutes before the show began, so <laughs> I uh, came up with it very, very quickly. We've got a list of intercontinental champions. Um, so we go all the way back to the beginning of the Intercontinental title, which was 1980, I believe, with our first champion. And there are 87 champions that have held the belt Oof. since. So you've got lots and lots of remit for getting things right, for getting things wrong. Um, should be a good one, should be a long one, should be an epic one. Let's start with Old Man, seeing as Tom's on a hot streak. <laughs> um, <laughs> old Man, off you go. Honky Tonk Man. Honky Tonk Man, indeed. I've got them, by the way, listed in order of length of title reign, combined length of total reign. So the Honky Tonk Man who held it only once is still the fourth longest reigning mm. champion. Come on, Honks. Uh, Ultimate Warrior. Yes, indeed, Ultimate Warrior. Uh, Mr. Perfect. Yes, he is on there. Uh, Bret Hart. So Bret Hart is, this is a tough one for me because it's such a long fucking list that I have to find them. Yes, he's on the list. Uh Davy Boy Smith. Davy Boy Smith, not a particularly long reigning champion. Only 59 days in the end for him on his uh -huh. one 
Intercontinental title reign. Edge. Indeed, Edge, the five-time Intercontinental champion. Uh, Raymond Mysterio. Ray Mysterio. Who's that jumping out this guy? R-A-Y-M-O-N-D, Mysterio. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Razor Ramon. Razor Ramon, yes, indeed. Uh, God, this list is ridiculous. <laughs> Four-time champion. Uh, Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho, yes. Nine-time Intercontinental champion. That's not that impressive, though, because it means he had to lose it nine times as well. Yeah, absolute waste of space. Uh, I am going to go for the Mountie. He's the Mountie. And he is the 85th length champion of all time. 85th out of how many? 87. Oh, God, the Mountie. Beautiful. Uh, Shawn Michaels. Yes. Three-time champion. Uh, The Rock. The Rock. Should be quite high, I would have thought, given the uh, lengthy 1998 run, which I can't find right now. Yes, 15. 15th he is. Two-time Intercontinental Champion. Uh, Santino Morella. man who tried to challenge Honky Tonk's reign in terms mm. of length. Came nowhere close. Two-time Intercontinental Champion. Morella's on the list. Uh, Cold Stone, Steve Austin. Yes, Steve Austin is two-time Intercontinental Champion. Just 65 days in total, though. The Ryback. <laughs> Daniel Bryan's favourite wrestler, the Ryback. Uh, yes, 112 days he was champion. Daniel Bryan. Oh, sorry about that. Didn't mean to give you one. <laughs> Take just give me one on the fucking plate then. <laughs> Scum. Yes, he's in there. Uh, Wade Barrett. Indeed. Five-time Intercontinental Champion, old bad news. Uh, I'm going to go with... Um... Hot Rod. Yes, Roddy Roddy Piper. 77 days as Intercontinental Champion. Uh, Kofi Annan Kingston. <laughs> Is that actually his middle name, do you think? <laughs> I think so, yeah. Four-time Intercontinental Champion, 266 days in total. Uh, large E. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Uh, Biggie Langston, 277 days, two-time champion. Uh, Apollo Crews missile. <laughs> yes, current Intercontinental Champion, at least as that time of recording. 84 days champion. Randy Orton. Yep. Randy Orton's in there. Okay. Uh, oh, I'm putting there. Uh, Triple H. Triple of the H, old humpback Horace <laughs> Harvester. <laughs> 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 Um, yeah, five-time Intercontinental Champion. My favourite wrestler, Dolph Ziggler. <laughs> Six-time Intercontinental Champion. Combined 372 days of a reign. Uh, you still haven't got the... Well, there's still five of the top ten longest reigning mm-hmm. champions you haven't got. Uh, Seth Rollins. Two-time Intercontinental Champion. 190 days. Uh, mean Dean Ambrose. <laughs> yes, three-time... Intercontinental champion. Uh, RVD. Rob Van Dam. Yes, six-time Intercontinental champion. Goodness, I didn't realise he'd won it that many times. Uh, Kevin Owens. The despair of old man mm. as uh, Tom gets another one of the ones he had. So that's Kevin Owens. Yes, two-time Intercontinental champion. Samuel Zayn. Uh, an expert, of course, on Samuels, as you are. Uh, two-time mm. Intercontinental champion, Sami Zayn. Um, Jeff. Harvey. Hardy. Five-time Intercontinental Champion Jeff Hardy. He's 13th 
on the combined list, 367 days as champion. So still lots of the top 10 to get. Uh, Marty Giannetti. Yes, Marty Giannetti. Really? Yeah, I think he... They hold it for one, one day or something? I think it was only a week in reality. But, yeah. Uh, well, no, it was only a week on television, I should say. It was 20 mm. days in reality. Lovely. Um, 1993, one-time champion. Uh, Christian... Christian, yes, uh, is a four-time Intercontinental Champion, 192 days combined. Uh, I'm just going to give you an update. You've got 31 of the 87 so far. Look, Uh, Christ. Booker T. I'm sure he's there. Yes, he is 34 days as a one-time champion. Goldust. Goldust, yes, three-time champion. Cody Rhodes. Uh, Cody Rhodes. Yes, two-time champion, 257 days for him uh ahmed johnson ahmed johnson yes we saw him win that title not too long ago and i've got to find it because i can't yep 50 days in the end he was champion for Uh, colin mcelroy punk (laughs) cm punk one only one time champion 14 49 days but yes he's on the list Uh, annoyingly i had someone then and i've forgotten but i'm gonna have to go with my lovable brother, Owen. <laughs> uh, Owen Hart is, yes, 132 days, two-time champion. That's got to be, it's got to be Kane. Kane, yes, two-time Intercontinental Champion, 57 days in total. Tiki suit wrestler, Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> yeah, six-time, six-fucking-time Intercontinental Champion for that bloody pretender. Uh, the Road Dog. Jesse James. We're bringing out the big guns now, I see. Mm. He is 83rd out of 87 in terms of total length of title reign. One-time champion, 14 days. You have got 40 of the uh, 87 and still have five in the top 10 that you haven't got. Oh, man, we've got a gaff. We've got a gaff. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I will go with X-Pac or the ones if you, Sean Waltman. Oh, hang on. I'm not sure this is going to be right. Oh, I, got, I think I may have fucked this. No, he's not there. That's mad. He, Isn't that mad that he hasn't? I know he yeah. had the European title, didn't he? That's what I'm getting confused with. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. he was in my maybe list. Yeah, because I've got... I've, ah, I'm annoyed at myself now. I have you done the thing again where you've picked one well, you don't weren't well, sure well, of first? I got swayed. I got swayed by the road dog of it all. I still had, obviously, Pat Patterson. Well, definitely should have said that before one, two, three, yeah. then, shouldn't you? And Ken Shamrock as well, my other two. But I would have probably thought of more on the way through. Ken Shamrock, yes. two uh, One-time champion, 125 days. And Patterson, one-time champion, the first champion, 233 days. Where does that put him on the list? On the list, it puts him in 24th. Oh, Old man. Uh, I had Billy Gunn. Billy, 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 Billy Gunn. I know he Which did win it because he was the bum at the time when he won it. Yeah. Um, Yes, 19 days, but he was the champion. Good lad. And my favourite in yours, Val Venus. Classic, Val Venus. Which I'm not definite on. Otherwise, this is his crowning achievement, mate. Two-time Intercontinental Champion, 50, uh, 83 days in total. And he's the 55th. I mean, I, I'm sorry, his, his crowning achievement was meeting me. Oh, sorry, yeah. Apologies. Which, incidentally, I dug out that picture the other day, so I'll post that on our social media when we release this episode. Lovely um, old chap. Dilo Brown? Yes. Yes, Dilo Brown. Um, 
26 days, one time challenge. Oh, Mark Henry. Here we go. They're all flooding in now, aren't they? Eh? Yeah. Um, where's Mark Henry? No. Oh, no. Fuck off. What a no Mark Henry. Title. Right. Pathetic. I've got to be honest. While she did very well, I think you got like 40 or so, um, I felt like you could have done better. I felt there was more to come here. So yeah. I'll go through the list in reverse order of length of title reigns combined. So we have Dean Douglas, the bottom of the list, less than a day. Where he belongs. Zack Ryder held it for one day. Oh, I thought I forgot. I, oh, fuck me. I'm wearing his T-shirt. <laughs> yes, you are. Not Zack Ryder. We'll get there. <laughs> um, Test, uh, Rikishi, Ooh. Luke Harper, Lance Storm. Oh, Lance. JBL, Mark Wild Tan Mero, <laughs> Kurt Angle, oh. The Godfather, Ezekiel Jackson, Ugh. Bobby Lashley, Roman Reigns, China, Do you know, oh, I China Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, yeah. which is ridiculous that you didn't get, I'm afraid. Um, AJ Styles, The Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Eric, Kerry Von Texas, Carlito. Eddie Guerrero, we're now entering the top 50. So that, that shows you how many yeah. names there were even before you get to the top 50. Um, Umanga, <laughs> uh, Finn Balor, William Regal, mm. Diesel, Chris Benoit, Rick Rude, Rick Flair, come on, guys. Curtis Axel, Drew McIntyre, Shinsuke Nakamura, John Morrison. Remember Ken Katera. Oh. Well, I didn't for no, once in my life. Did not. <laughs> uh, Greg Valentine. You'll have to remember him extra hard this week, old man. Mm. <laughs> Greg Valentine. Then we've got, this is when you've got quite most of them in the top 20. Uh, 14th, Shelton Benjamin. Oh, shouts. Then it's Tom's T-shirt, the macho man, Randy Savage. Oh, match. At number eight in the overall list. Fifth was Tito Santana. We've got The Rock Don Morocco at number three. Number one is Pedro Morales, who was the most, the lengthiest title, yeah. 619. And number two, though, I left him especially, The Miz, eight time uh, Intercontinental Champion. The wow. Miz. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, as I said, you got a lot of them, but I felt like there was a lot there you could have got. There's absolute fucking stinkers. Yeah. yeah, I mean to Miss Savage in particular. It's when you're wearing his T-shirt, you just have to look at your own camera and you'd have got it. Few <laughs> minutes of that. Yeah, you know what? We we did all right. I feel, I think everybody knows there's more. There's there's more out there, and that me and Tommy should do better. When you got people like, when you remember people like Wade Barrett and yeah. the Bounty over <laughs> over the matching man Randy Savage, who had arguably the greatest intercontinental match ever. You've got a oh, gaffer word for yourself. Sorry, with, with, uh, with who? Who did Savage have that match with? No, his name escapes me. Was it, was think, it Alan I... Tabernacle? <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> so that about wraps up all the business we've got to do today. Old man, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you very much. And thank you, all of you, for listening. Try and be better than me. And if you can, remember, Kempatera. And Tom, thank you also for your contributions, despite your lack of Macho Man Randy Savage being named in the game. Fucking Macho Man. <laughs> it's going to burn that T-shirt now. Just know it. Oh, yeah. We'll be back again next week for another episode of the Random Wrestling Review. But until then, take care. <laughs>